all of us have a mandate to reach the city that we live in. We all play a critical role and have a civil responsibility to affect positive change for the voiceless, for the unborn, the innocent, the fatherless, the widows, the victims, and even those that per perpetrate crime, violence, and biblical injustice to our community. Everybody needs Jesus. Amen. The church can't stand silent and in action. Simply praying and hoping things will change or get better isn't going to do it. Inaction will kill us. And, and the people around us will be dying, and we'll be sitting back idly and not doing anything about it. We have to be active. We cannot live inactive. There are risks and costs to action, but they are far less than the long-range risks of comfortable inaction. John F. Kennedy. Inaction breeds doubt and fear. Action breeds confidence and courage. Dale Carnegie. I love that quote. Because I know that if the enemy can keep us silent and quiet and not doing something with what God's given us, not only will people uh, fall into destruction and hurt and pain and all the things that are already going on, but our own lives will fall into fear and doubt. I have found that the more that I give away what God gives to me, the more confidence and courage and boldness and strength and life comes into my life. It's very easy to be focused on your own issues and struggles and your challenges, but I have found that when I focus my attention off of myself and on to helping somebody else, God does something supernatural in my own life. Here's another great quote. Throughout history, it has been the inaction of those who could have acted, the indifference of those who should have known better, the silence of the voice of justice when it mattered most, that has made it possible for evil to triumph. Haley Selassie. And I really like this one from Oscar Wilde. To do nothing at all is the most difficult thing in the world, the most difficult and the most intellectual. And I had to really think about that. It's the most intellectual, and I understand that from a common sense standpoint with the busyness of our lives, children, family, work, and responsibility, it can be difficult to lay our lives down and sacrifice the time to do something for someone else. Also, when we make our voice heard, especially in the, the multiple spheres of influence in the, in the world around us, governmentally, uh, educationally, um, in the marketplace, we can be offensive. And sometimes we don't want to make our voice heard because we're afraid of offending people or being divisive. And what I want you to know is that the word of God already is going to be divisive to somebody's life. And when you stand up for the truth, God can open up their heart and bring healing and comfort and strength to them. We cannot be silent even if it offends our mind intellectually. There's an entire generation watching, waiting, and looking to every one of us for guidance, protection, and leadership for the future. We have children and generations that are coming up behind us that have no idea what normal looks like. And if we don't show them, who will? I remember when I first moved to town, I moved over to Bay Point Apartments on Ennis Jocelyn. I had long hair and earrings. And uh, I was single then. And there were a lot of college students over there. There was a big party down at the volleyball court. One kind of surfer guy stopped me. He's like, hey, dude. Hey, bro. We're having a party tonight. We're going to be smoking some doobies. You want to smoke with us tonight? I said, no, man, that's all right. I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, what's that? 
you got to understand there is a whole generation being raised not knowing the things and the truth that we know, and we cannot be silent to show them and teach them and love on them. If we don't bring life and love to the hurting and the broken and the outcast, somebody else will attempt to, and if it's not Jesus, it's a false comfort and a false strength. If we don't raise our kids, the world will, and we've got to be the ones that make our voice heard and be actively involved in every area of influence. Now, I'll pause for a minute. I'm getting more and more involved civically in my responsibility because I've realized as crazy as it is in this world around us, I can't be silent. I run into people all the time, especially the older generation that want to complain about millennials and want to complain about the work ethic with young adults and teenagers and what's the problem with the next generation. I run into those people all the time. And I always say this to them. I said, what are you going to do about it? Because we can't sit back and complain and be frustrated and be inactive and not do anything about it. We're called to be the ones that make a difference instead of complaining about it and sitting idly on the, on the sidelines. I've told you guys about my mailman. My mailman, I don't, you know, m most mailmen are in a real hurry. But when my mailman comes to my house, he parks his, his uh, mail truck and gets out to have a conversation with me. And yesterday we had about a 20-minute conversation. Now, I've told you about my mailman. We're believing that he's going to get born again and that he's going to be here, and we're all going to celebrate when he comes. I've had many conversations with my mailman. He's really into conspiracy theories, especially when it comes to money and paper dollars and the economy, and he watches tons of YouTube videos. And every time he comes, he wants to ask me about all these conspiracy theories. And so my response always to him is, well, God has a purpose for your life, you're called to preach the gospel, Jesus loves you, and what are you doing to make a difference in this world instead of complaining? Because he thinks everything's a conspiracy. And so he'll listen and he'll go, yeah, but what do you think about this? He'll say, yeah, I'll tell you what I think about that. God has a plan for your life. You're not called to be silent. You are an evangelist, and Jesus is coming to visit you. He goes, yeah, he goes, I know all that. I grew up Catholic, and I tell my kids what's right and wrong. I said, listen, right and wrong will kill you. If your kids don't know about Jesus and have life inside of them, you're only giving them behavior modification. Now, we teach our kids right and wrong, but we do it from a spiritual standpoint. Our kids have to learn to have conviction inside of their hearts and get born again, just like we all had to. Otherwise, it's behavior modification. And never forget that being good can kill you. Remember, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil leads to death. So that's the problem with religion. People don't need more religion. They need life. They need power. They need love. They need the reality of who Jesus is. And I'm convinced that the gospel that most people have heard in America is not the real gospel. I'm convinced most people that hear about Jesus don't know the Jesus that I know. Now, that doesn't mean everybody, and I don't assume that that's everybody. But what I know is, is the Jesus I know is so awesome, so loving, so powerful, so caring, so forgiving, and so incredible. And he's got good news for everyone that I encounter, and I want them to know it. If you have something great that happens to you, or you win the lottery, or you get a big tax check that's coming, whatever it is, you get so fired up. You get a promotion, you get a better job, you get so fired up. But I'm way more fired up about what Jesus has done in my own life. And I can't help but give away what he's given to me. And what I realize is, is he has called us to be his hands and his feet. Remember, I have told this story, and I preached this message a long time ago titled, Ready, Sit, Go. And I was sitting at Swantner Park on, on uh, Ocean Drive, having an incredible time with the Lord. I had my coffee. I had worship. The waves were billowing up to the water. I could see the city, and it was beautiful. 
And I started weeping and I started crying with the Lord. I was having this incredible encounter. And I said, God, I, I want to see your signs and wonders and your power and your miracles. Where are they, Lord? I want to see you move mightier. I want to see the power of God in every area of my life. And I heard him say almost audibly, he said, then get up and go do something about it. And he spoke to me and he said, I'm in the going. But the enemy always wants to keep us consumed with our busyness and the affairs of our life. And he wants us ever learning, never pursuing, and never giving away what God has given to us. And we can't just keep being consumer Christians. We have to give away the life and the love and the power that he's put inside of us. And when we go, we begin to see the supernatural miracles happen in our lives and in the people that are around us. I prophesy over my mailman. I prophesied over people in the streets, and so many people have wept and cried and go, how did you know that? Who told you that? And I said, nobody told me that. It was the Lord, and it's because he loves you, and he wants to show you how much he cares about you. And so we're the ones that have to go and make the difference in the streets that are the community and every sphere of influence that's around us. I have signed up to be on the Ethics Commission. Pray that I get on. I have to be voted in by the city council. And right now there are no slots on it, but I still put my name out there because I felt like the Lord told me to do it. I pray at city council meetings. I've met personally with our county judge. I've had personal conversations with political leaders, and we're the ones that need to not be afraid to go sit and stand even before judges, councils, boards, and rep make our voice heard. The church cannot be silent or injustice will, will permeate through this land and we'll sit by complaining and playing the nice little sissy victim church. And that's not who I am and that's not who this church is. This is an apostolic prophetic church. It means we're sent ones as the mouthpiece and the voice of the Lord everywhere that we go. And so I sit with pastors, uh, seven pastors every month called the Moral Compass Initiative. And what we do is we stand up against injustices in our land or any uh, uh, policies that would be passed into law that we believe are unbiblical. When the bathroom bill came up with the CCISD, we wrote a letter, we went to the board meeting, we read it, uh, and the issue was dead in the water, never to be brought up again, and we were, the superintendent personally told us, this will not be brought up again, and it was dead in the water. Yeah! Because I'm not okay with boys and girls sharing bathrooms. Just so that you know not okay with that. Now, some of you may not agree with that, and there might be other things that you may not agree with me on, such as uh, the fact that I'm, I am staunchly pro-life. But the way that I make my voice heard, I don't go picketing and yelling and screaming and being angry about it. I just preach life, become life, and love people really, really well, and God has given me an avenue to make my voice heard, and so I make my voice heard, because I believe that we are called to fight for life. People do not know what normal looks like. They don't know what healthy looks like. Most people are fatherless. When you go to the college campuses, most of the young adults never really had it, not all of them, but most have never seen what the normal family unit looks like or normal church or normal Christianity or normal life or community or what it means to have a strong work ethic or what it means to not be influenced by the world around us. People don't know that. And so if we don't show them, the question is, who will? You know, I, I got asked. It wasn't even my own doing. I got asked to be on the Flower Bluff Citizens Council. We represent Flower Bluff to basically City Hall, our, district, our state representative, Todd Hunter. 
I go to all the Michael Cloud meetings that I get invited to in town. I just sat with Rafael Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz's father, who was a pastor, and he preached a fiery message on what it means for us to be actively involved in what's happening in the world around us, especially politically. Now, some say, well, pastor, I don't want you to get political. Listen, the church sets the standard for the world around us, not the world setting the standard for the church. The, the concept of separation of church and state is not a law, and it's not what you think it is. The church is to affect change politically in every area, in every sphere of influence around us. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to stand up here and tell you who to vote for or not to vote for. But what I am going to tell you is if people don't stand for biblical values and bring the kingdom of God into office, and I get it, they're politicians, but I'm still going to vote for the one that stands for the rights that I stand for. And I vote according to my convictions and my faith and the biblical standpoint. And I know we'll go into an election year next year and we'll work together as a family of what that looks like. And I'm not going to try to make you do something you don't want to do. But what we are going to do is be a family, a tribe, a community that makes our voice heard in this community and makes a difference in the world around us. And that's from Ocean Drive to the west side. That's from the rescue shelter to Port Aransas. I don't care what sphere of influence somebody is, from the poor to the wealthy. We help anyone and everyone that God brings to us, and we treat everyone equally. Amen? Amen. So if we don't teach them, who will? And if we don't teach or show them, the answer is the world will. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in Jesus on him will not be put to shame. I love that scripture because people are full of shame and hiding in darkness because of bombing it and failures and mistakes. Some of you have so many burned bridges, burned down houses, burned down relationships, and you've left a trail of destruction in your past. Some of you don't, and I pray my kids never do. That's why I'm very open about my story I'm very open with them about, and as they grow older, I'll share with them about the mistakes that I made. But if you are that person that is hurting and broken and left a trail of destruction behind you, here's what you need to know, and this is why I believe Rock City is such a special place. Because not only do we break shame, but we don't put shame on you. And there are people here that have committed adultery, that have had, a hor had horrible backgrounds and experiences. Massive meltdowns, massive massive wildfires in your in your past but you'll always be loved here and i always encourage you to never give up and we'll always challenge you to live the way jesus called you to live and we want to be there for you as a family so that you can get healthy you know why because your story is somebody else's freedom and until you can come to the place where you can share your testimony and, get, and you don't get that healing, you'll be bound up. But once you get that healing and you can share your story, your problems today become your testimony tomorrow. Yeah. And so we don't give up on people. We love people repeatedly no matter what they go through. So not only do we not put you to shame, but we break off shame. So if you're a Christian, stop walking in shame. Most people don't know the God of love and power and joy. And yes, he's a consuming fire. And yes, there's a righteous indignation. And yes, he even gets angry. And people say, my wife and I had a conversation. How do you reconcile, you know, the God of the, the Old Testament and the God of new? Because people ask that, you know, he was a God of anger and war. And now it's love and mercy. I said, first of all, he's always been love and mercy. He was more love and mercy in the Old Testament. And, and most people don't have the understanding of how much the enemy wanted to wipe Israel off the map yeah. and hated that nation because it was God's chosen people. 
and he hates you just as much. And so when Israel would make decisions to be to fall into uh, adultery and harlotry and prostitution and uh, sacrificing babies and uh, bringing in all these other gods after all that God had done and loved them and cared about them. It's like turning around and spitting right back in his face. And had God not brought some of those harsh punishments to that nation, that nation would have been wiped out, wouldn't have learned the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God. See, I've learned the goodness of God through so many failures in my life. He, I know how much he loves me because, man, have I bombed it so many times. And there's been times he's given me a spiritual spanking, and it hadn't been comfortable. But I have needed it because it corrected me and directed me. And if I don't learn to correct and direct my five-year-old, my son who's walking around in a Spider-Man outfit at church, which I'm not happy about. <laughs> if I don't learn to correct and direct, somebody else will correct and direct or rebellion, and all these other things come into their lives. And see, I love my son. I love my daughter to no end. But he looks to me for direction and guidance and wisdom and strength and life, and there's a whole world doing the same for all of us. <clears throat> and so we break shame. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how much you make. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. Make sure you understand in the kingdom, it's every nation, tribe, and tongue. Yeah. And if this church is doing things right, we have the wealthy, the poor, we have the, the, the prominent, we have the political, we have the leaders, we have people in all spheres of influence. We have every color, every tongue, every nation, every tribe from socioeconomic to ethnic backgrounds. We love everybody equally, and we're called to reach everybody equally. And so there's no distinction the same Lord over all who is rich to all who call upon him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved this is a powerful scripture now the purpose of me sharing this with you is we want to get people and I want to get you to learn to call upon the name of the Lord but if you see him as an angry mean God that is looking at you and saying you made your bed now lie in it you screw up you see what you get that's that's not the way my father is and that's not the way I am with my children Yes, there are consequences, and I have to teach them discipline. If I don't teach him discipline, he's, the Bible says that literally he would be like an illegitimate son. So that's the nature of the father, but he's full of grace and mercy and kindness and compassion. And so I love this scripture because I understand a few things about this one particular word. It's the word call. If you look up this word call, it's in the Greek, it's the word epikaleo. And it means to call out, to cry out from a position of above. Okay, the word epi is, a, is to transpose. But it's a judicial term. It means to cry out for mercy and leniency and help when you need them the most. Here's a good example from my own personal life. I got busted with, for a third-degree felony with LSD going to a Grateful Dead concert like 28 or 29 years ago. Ten years after that, I had the opportunity to stand before that same judge for an adjudication, and I filed for the adjudication. And when I stood before that judge, I've told the story before, but when I stood before that judge, the judge looked at me and asked me, why should I grant you this adjudication? And I, in, in a desperate desire to have my record wiped clean, called out to him and spoke to him or I reasoned with him, I'm going to show you that in a moment, of why 
I wanted to have leniency and get that adjudication approved. And I told, told a story, but I basically said, you know, I, I lead 100 kids in the high school ministry as a youth pastor, teaching them not to make the mistakes I made. I've gotten two degrees, I've owned a couple homes, and my, I've not gotten in any trouble in 10 years, and I'm explaining, I'm reasoning and pleading my case, or I'm calling to him. And in turn, he granted me the adjudication and wiped my record clean. Now, calling to the Lord is not a one-time thing. A lot of people just call out to the Lord, you know, in a crisis situation. God, rescue me. If you rescue me or heal me, I'll serve you all the days of my life. They get rescued, they get healed, and Jesus is nowhere to be talked about after that, right? And I would still encourage people to do that. But calling is this understanding of consistently crying out to the Lord in the midst of difficult trials and tribulations. And in this particular case, we're talking about somebody that doesn't know the Lord, all right? So I want to get people to call out to the Lord. I want to get people to come to him and understand that he loves them, cares about them, and wants to bring forgiveness into their life right? And they'll be saved. I talk about what it means to be saved a lot. Saved is not some Hollywood, you know, trash talk thing about, oh, you got saved in the movies and the, the, I've seen them on Hallmark videos. just irritates me to no end. To be saved means God rescues you. So really it says if you cry out to the righteous judge, he'll vindicate you and he'll rescue you, protect you, heal you, deliver you, and make you whole. Because I, you wouldn't have liked me for the man that I used to be. I was a drug dealing, womanizing, ladies night, partying, drinking, all about me guy. Now, 28 years later, I'm so in love with Jesus, currently caffeine free because the fast ends today. But let's praise the Lord, drug free. Amen. And so God rescued my life and changed my life and did something supernatural. And had somebody not come to me and talk to me about the Lord and disciple me and mentor me, and for me, it was people in prison. I, I tell you what, I stood before that judge, and I said to him something that probably no one has ever said to that judge. I said, thank you. Thank you for sending me to jail. He was shocked. He started crying. Nobody comes back 10 years later and says to the judge, thank you for throwing me in the slammer, Right? But see, that year in prison, I learned the Bible. I learned to tutor illiterates. It was one of the best years of my life. I was on a fast track to hell in a bucket. But then God rescued and redeemed me and changed my life. And I have people say, well, you just got born again because you went to, to prison. I'm like, well, thank God for prison. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so God literally came to my rescue. And in my distress, I called out to him and he heard my cry and he saved me. I called out to the righteous judge and I said, look, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for the way that I lived. And shame was broken off and forgiveness came. But the thing is, is people don't know this God that we're calling out to. So let's look at the next verse, verse 14. How then are they going to call on them in whom they, on him in whom they've not believed? And how should they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear if you don't go tell them? Don't just look at me as the preacher. Oh, well, you're the preacher. That's your job. Eh, no, it doesn't work like that. We all have a mandate from God to make our voice heard. But the lie of the devil is your world is so jacked up, you could never tell somebody else about what God's done for you. And I want to tell you that that's a lie. My process has been a wild ride <coughs> over a long period of time. 
And I learned that if I start loving on other people and giving away and seeing what other people are going through, many times I realize my situation is not near as bad as somebody else's. And you think you're a bad dude or you think you're a bad girl or you think you did something bad or you're doing something bad, I can assure you most of us, probably all of us, are not near as bad as King David or the Apostle Paul. And God redeemed their lives because he takes the weak and the broken. In fact, his strength is made perfect in your weakness. So here's what that means. Are you weak right now? Get ready for his perfect strength. And so what I know is, is people can't call on somebody in whom they don't believe. And why wouldn't somebody believe in the God that we believe in? Why? I mean, in my mind, I'm like, man, everybody should be a believer. Everybody should know what I know. So there's a couple things. Number one, people don't believe because I think the God that, that we love and serve so dearly and cherish has been misrepresented. Right? I believe that. And then it goes on to say that how will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? The answer is they can't. That's why they need to hear. And how shall they hear without a preacher? A preacher is somebody that heralds as an evangelist and proclaims the truth and the good news of who Jesus is to the world around us. And all of us have that responsibility to do that or people aren't going to know. You can't just expect them to know. We can't just expect New Life or CCCF or some other church to do your job. So I have, I have responsibility. While I have multiple businesses and more to come, while I have two little children and maybe more to come, while we have this church with, you know, five, 600 people and more to come. Because, you know, I don't sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. My family is my first priority. But some people take that so far that they're so focused and consumed on their own family, their jobs, and their careers that they're not giving themselves away to the world around them. And we all have a responsibility. Jesus was broken open gave himself as, a, as bread and as a drink offering to the people that were hurting him the most in the world around him. And he did it at a time when people were betraying him and lying and hurting him and blaspheming him. And so we all have a responsibility to make our voice heard. Let's go to the next, next verse. And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Let's pause there. This is awesome. So we all have to be sent. We all have a call from God. So my mailman always wants to talk about conspiracy theories. And I just come back to him and say, what are you going to do about it? You have a call from God. And how are you making a difference in this world around you? And I just keep reminding him of that. Everybody here has a call from God. All of us do. And everybody watching. But we have to answer it. God wants to send every single one of us, but we have to be willing to go. And your past and your hurt and your pain and your brokenness or whatever it is that you've gone through or overcome becomes fuel to the fire for your life and the testimony to help somebody else get free. And so I'm sending y'all. I'm sending this church. This is the sent yeah, church. It is an apostolic church, meaning apostle means sent one. God has sent us to make a difference and to bring change into the world around us. And this church together is able to do that more effectively. See, you can take a pack of diapers to the 
Crisis Pregnancy Resource Center, and that they'll be appreciative of that. How about if I bring a thousand packs of diapers there? How about if we send volunteers and resources and finances to the Pregnancy Resource Center? Saving babies and women that are thinking about having an abortion, choosing life or adoption, right? So we're better together than we are individually by ourselves. You know, I've gone to pray at the uh, Pregnancy Resource Center and, and talk with the staff several times there. Because of that, Catherine and Susan are here, Susan Hanacek. They, they've made Rock City their home because uh, the message that I was able to bring in the life and the love and the freedom that they have found by being here. And so we have to go out and we have to be sent. And so Rock Your City is a charge for all of us to go out into our communities and to make a difference. I'm sending you officially yeah. to make a difference in the world yeah. around you, yes. okay? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach. So what are we preaching? Are we standing on milk crates with bullhorns preaching turn or burn? No. We're going out and we're bringing love and life. One of the outreaches that I'm going to be leading is that one on Friday night, uh, the 25th, I believe it is. And you do need to go through the prayer partner training before that. And we go out with bottles of water. I need a bunch of people with little red rider wagons and cases of bottled water and guitars and drums and instruments. And we're going to go out from 11 to 2 in the morning. And we're going to love on people, the hurting, the broken, the prostitutes, the outcasts, those coming out of the bars. And we're not out to wreck people's nights on date night. We're going to love people. They're going to eat and they're going out to have a good time. We're just going to go love on people and not be those really weird, crazy Christians. Though some people will see us as weird and crazy, but I don't really care. I've done this so many times that I already know I'm not weird. I know that I'm normal. And I know that the enemy doesn't want me to go, but God gives us a mandate that we have to go, right? And so how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the what? Gospel of peace, good news of peace, glad tidings, and good things. The gospel of peace... Glad tidings and good things. Let me reiterate that. That means that I'm bringing good news to the hurting and the broken. I'm bringing a gospel, good news that brings peace to people's torment, darkness, hurt, pain, trauma, drama, and whatever their situation is. We're bringing the hope of a father to the campus to young adults that are fatherless or hooked on pornography or living like the world and have been discipled and mentored and tutored by the world we get to be the ones that go be the contrast on the campus. And so that's what we do. Next verse. But they've not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. So people's faith they get faith in their life when they hear God's word. But this word for word is not logos. It's rhema. It's the right now spoken prophetic word of the Lord. When we go and we prophesy in the streets and we speak to people's life and situation and circumstances right where they're at, it brings transformative power to them because they realize how real and present and active God is to speak to them and to touch them. And so we bring the word to the world around us prophetically in verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed they have. 
Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. I love this scripture. Everybody say this to me. Say, I have a sound. I have a sound. You have a sound that has to be released. And it goes out to all the ends of the world. And Rock City is a sound. This church is a sound. This tribe is a sound. And so should the other churches of this city. You know, I pray for the other churches of this city, and you'll never hear me say a negative word about another pastor in this town. I never have. I know most all of them, and many of them are my friends. The only church I've ever spoken negative about is a church that I don't even need to talk about because it's just pointless, but I'll say it is the Westboro Baptist Church. The people that go out with their signs at, you know, uh, uh, military funerals and uh, bashing gays and bashing the military and saying that they represent God, it's demonic. I remember when they were going to come and picket a military funeral over here on NAS Drive, me and all my boys in the tribe of Judah rolled up on our motorcycles. There was tons of people there to stand against them, and guess what? They didn't show. They chose not to come. And so we're the ones that make a difference, and we do it together with the other churches of the city. You know, new life has taken over real life here in Flower Bluff. Praise God. Pastor Mike called me and said, hey, we're coming to Flower Bluff. I said, yes. we got to make a difference in this community. Yeah. There's a lot of darkness here. So let's band together and work together. Let's pray together. I meet with those seven pastors, all different walks of life, different backgrounds. We stand together unified to make a difference in our community and our city. And so we have a sound. Rock City is a sound. We're a tribe. You find... This is not the, 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 a restaurant. It's not the flavor of the month. It's not the, the special of the day. It's a family. And we stick together and we go where the Lord leads us to go. And that's why I have no, it's not a church competition. You know, Pastor Mike's not a church competition for me. He's my friend. Yeah. I don't have, we don't have to compete. We have to work together. And so we make a difference in this city so that our sound can go out to all the earth and our words to the end of the world. And finally, as it goes out to all the world, it goes to the place that Jesus wants to go. And it brings love and life to everybody that he wants to touch. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of this age. This is the great commission that applies to every single one of us. We're called to make disciples, but you know how disciples are made? Through a dialogue. That means that we have conversations. That means that we communicate with people. And in a world of social media where relationships are far and fewer between, where people don't know how to deal with conflict, where people are afraid of offending somebody, where everybody wants to be politically correct, that's not the kingdom of God. We make our voice heard boldly and loudly in the world around us, and we make disciples through relationship and not being afraid to go to the places to give of our finances and resources and to invest our time in relationships with other people's lives. And I love this because it says that as we go, guess what the Lord will do? He'll be with us always. We never go alone, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about us being God's field. So there's a field that's ripe for the harvest out there that is yet to come in that God needs workers and laborers to go get. 
So the Great Commission starts right here, right now. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I love this scripture. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, I'll paraphrase it, in your hometown, in your region, in your state, in your nation, to the nations of the world. That's basically what Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth represent. So our first mission field is our backyard. Corpus Christi desperately needs Jesus. And I can assure you, if you're watching online or listening, your hometown desperately needs Jesus or your city needs Jesus as well. And so when God gives us power, he gives us power to be a witness. And he gives us power to witness first in our local community, then our region, our state, the nation, and the nations of the world. And he gives us power to do it. He gives us power to do it. We're all called to evangelize, herald, and proclaim the good news with power and authority in all the places he wants or is about to go. Check this out. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where what? Where he himself was about to go. Now, I'm believing for revival in this city and in the churches of this city. And I know that Jesus wants to visit every nook and cranny of this city. So like John the Baptist, he commissions us to make, the high, make a highway in the midst of the desert to make the crooked places straight and to go before his face to prepare the way for Jesus to come into their lives. Right? Verse 2. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. We do not have a harvest problem. I can assure you we do not have a harvest problem. People are ready for what we have to share. And somebody's going to reject you, and somebody's going to say, I don't want to hear about that. But so what? I know how good God is, and I know for everyone that rejects me, somebody else is going to want to hear what I have to say. The problem's not with the harvest or the world. The problem is finding people that are willing to get up and do something about it and get active. The problem is people be willing to lay down their comfort zones lay down their, the busyness of their own lives and to get out and make a difference in the world around them. And then in verse 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And so God sends us out with power to drive back the demonic forces that are wreaking havoc in people's lives. He wreaked havoc in my life one time or many times. And so I know what it means to be in that spot, and I know that we've got to go rescue people out of it. Jesus wants to visit this city, and he delegates us to prepare the way before him. And because of this, we can't hide in our homes, we can't hide in our churches, and we can't be utterly consumed by the affairs of this life. Week in and week out, we worship and celebrate and come to learn about Jesus. We come together with our closest friends and family, but so many people rarely venture out beyond the borders of their intellectual comfort zones and their life to make a difference to the world around them. And God has an issue with that. God has an issue with that. I'm going to read to you a block of scriptures, and I just want you to soak it in right now. Isaiah 1, 7 through 20 really helps to understand God's heartbeat 
Yes, he loves our worship and our prayers and our intimacy and our communion, and we always need to have that because we need to have a strong foundation as a family so that when people come in, they see what normal looks like and they find a place of healing, hope, and health, right? But we also have to make sure that we're doing our part to make a difference in the world around us. Isaiah 1, 7, verse 7. The country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it's desolate as overthrown by strangers. That's the world around us. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or the lamb of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices, incenses, and abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the callings of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They're a trouble to me, and I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers I'm not going to hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're like red crimson, red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let me paraphrase this for you. Deal with your heart and your sin by the blood of the lamb. Though your sins be as scarlet, come to him and get washed white as snow. And reason together with the Lord. He loves you and cares about you and wants you to come to him. But if we keep coming to worship and bring, do, we can do all the feasts, we can do all the festivals and keep coming to church. But if we continue to live contrary to his purpose and his plan and we do injustice to the people that are around us, he's not going to hear us. Okay? So he says five or six things that he wants us to do. Six things. First, deal with our own sin by ceasing to do evil. Be willing and be obedient so that God will accept and listen to what we have to say and so that we can eat the good of the land. Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And that's what we're called to do as a church body, and that's what I'm called to do in my life. That's really my ultimate mission. This church really is a means to an end for me. The means to an end is, is to affect massive change in the world around us. And I also know I can't do it by myself. I need you, 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 and all of you in the back. We can't do it without each other. So the first thing is, is get born again, get under the blood, and let's break some shame out of your life. You're a son. You're a daughter. God loves you. God cares about you. You don't have to live with the lies of the enemy any longer. We've made enough mistakes long enough. First, let's come to the Lord and start to reason with him like, we did with, like I did with that judge 
and receive the love and forgiveness and grace and compassion that he has for you. But then he calls us to fight for life, to drive back fatherlessness, to drive back injustice, and to bring life and healing. You see the six things right there. Do good, seek justice, and rebuke the oppressor. Our college campuses are being oppressed by lies and demonic deception. People are hurting and broken in the apartment complexes right around us. And God calls us together as a family to get out there and to do these six things. There are widows around us. You know, Lisa is a widow. That's why her life is so important to me. That's why Rising Tide Ministries is so important to me. Let's support her. Let's support that ministry. Let's get out there and help the hurting and the broken in all these areas of our community. I'm going to leave you with this last thing. I'm not going to quote the scripture. I'm going to uh, read the scriptures to you, but I'm going to finish with this. Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 31. The subtitle of this block of scriptures is Jesus Judges the Nations. And in the end times when Jesus is going to judge the nations, what he does is he takes the nations that stayed rogue and the nations that, that came to him and he separates them. He puts the goats to the left and the sheep to the right. Okay? And then what he does is he says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. I was a stranger and you didn't visit me. I was in prison. You didn't visit me. I was hungry, thirsty, and you were never there for me. And the people said, but how weren't we there for you? And he said, as much as you did it to the least, you did it unto me. We have a biblical mandate to do these things, to clothe, to give drink, to give food, to visit, to give shelter, and to help people as much as we can. And I help a lot of people here that you don't know about that are in this church right now that have needed help financially or in a real crisis and their lives have turned around. I could only do that because I'm together with you. Yesterday or the other day, I was walking, a few days ago, I was walking down my, the parking lot, and there's homeless people that basically descend upon Rock City like bees on a beehive at times or on the shopping center because there's a lot of transients passing through. And so there was a young guy that was laid out on the sidewalk, had to be in his mid-20s. He didn't have any shoes on. His face had been bitten up by ants all over the top of his head. It was all bloody. And he literally, his, the pillow was his hands. And I, as I walked by, I stopped and I, I tapped him. I said, hey, man, what's your name? Told me his name. I said, how long you been here? And he's only been here for like a week or so because they're traveling through. And um, I said, and you know, the fastest growing rate of homelessness is among young adults. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I asked him what his story was. And he told me a little bit of his story. I said, I said, are you hungry? He said, man, I haven't eaten all night. And I'm sure he's been doing drugs all night. He said, I haven't eaten all night. I said, okay, I'm going to get you sandwich. Another girl walked up who I know has been prostituting around this area. And I've ministered and witnessed to her before. And she's like, look terrible. I said, are you hungry? She goes, yeah, I'm hungry. I said, I said okay. I said, you guys wait here. I'm going to have Fran run out. And Fran or Mallory or somebody that was working brought out a couple sandwiches and a couple bottles of water. And then I kneeled down and I, and I prayed with him. Now, I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that because I have a mandate to not just pray for them. Yeah. It's both ways. I give them spiritual food, yeah. and I give them natural food. Yeah. That's why I tell you guys, look, I don't recommend that you ever hand out money to somebody on a street corner. If you want to help them, drive to Stripes, get a hot dog, get a bottled water. I've been hit up everywhere around here, and I've even taught my kids. I'm in the McDonald's drive-thru. 
somebody hits me up in the drives, man, I, I haven't eaten, I could use a burger. And my kids were, I said, this would be a great example. I said, okay, just wait there, we'll get you a burger. And I had my kids hand the burger out the window and tell them Jesus loved him right there. In many cases, those people respond, but in most cases, they have such bad mental health issues, they don't even know how to take care of themselves. We've helped somebody get off the streets here and into an apartment, and they have never learned how to do laundry, fold, fold clothes, pay bills, or live on their own. They've only known how to live on the streets. Most people don't know how to be responsible. Some people don't want to get off the streets. I don't care. I preach to all of them just the same, and I love them just the same no matter who they are. Because God has mandated us to be his hands and his feet. And so Jesus says in Matthew 25, he says, as much as you've done to the least, you do to him. I preached a message once titled, Taking Care of Jesus. It's an odd title. But he says, look, as much as you do to them, you're doing to me. So I, so I got it. If I really love Jesus and I really care about him, then I've got to do to him by taking care of the least. You know, when Peter was being restored, I, like, I love this because Peter, you know, he was full of shame and rejected and denied Jesus three times. So Jesus restores Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, paraphrase, yeah, bro, I love you, dap it. Jesus says, but, but Peter, do you love me? Yeah, man, you're my homeboy. Jesus is my homeboy. Remember the shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. You're my homeboy, Jesus. Jesus says, but Peter, do you love me? Yeah. And it clicks. Because Peter had been responding with brotherly phileo love. Yeah, yeah dap it. I love you. Yeah. Hey. Mm -hmm. But what Jesus was looking for was the agape love that he had loved Peter with. Yeah. See, agape love is, I don't care where you've been or what you've done or what your past, past is. I see you for who you are as a son, and I call you into your destiny, and I'm not hooked up on your brokenness or your shame or your past because you're a son, and I'm going to call you into it, and I'm going to love you. What can I do to help you? You need some food. You need a gas card. You need some groceries. You need me to help you with the bill. I'll do the best that I can. I'm not a bank, but I'll do the best that I can to help you. And if I have it, I'll give it away. And that is the principle of so many people being successful in their life because they never hoard what God has given to them. And the point is, is that you love with agape love. So Peter got restored, not through, hey, bro, homeboy, let's hang. He got restored through the fact that he knew Jesus loved him deeply and intimately. And that was the same kind of love that he needed to reciprocate. I don't think about your value. I don't think about how good you are or how bad you are. I give because that's what Jesus did. When he hung on the cross, broken, he gave his very best. He gave his whole life for people that were angry. The multitudes, the thousands that he had fed and gave a healed. Think of all the deliverance and the thousands and thousands of people he fed and healed. None of them were there. They were all shouting, crucify him and standing. Even his own, his best friends, his coordinate tight group, only one of them was there. And that was John. One denied, one betrayed, nine were standing afar off. Yeah. And Jesus still loved him just the same. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke himself open and said, here, take a piece of me. On the night he was betrayed. Because that's what real communion is. I taught on that last Wednesday. Real communion is giving of ourselves, even in a world of injustice and people that treat you poorly. 
Are you being treated poorly or slandered or lied about? Jesus says, bless those that persecute you. Don't get on Facebook and rip them to shreds. You're the kingdom of God. You're not of this world. Make your voice heard. I got my friend here. He leads a podcast, and he does an awesome job at it. Full of love, full of wisdom, full of straightforward truth. And I like that. And he's not afraid to make his voice heard boldly and confidently and offend somebody. He probably offends a lot of people, but who cares? Jesus offended a lot of people. The gospel is offensive. It's offensive to your mind. It's offensive to your intellect. It's offensive to your carnal nature. Right? So as much as you do to the least, we do to him. Food, drink, clothes, shelter, healing, personal visitation. This is what his body does, and it's the mandate for every single one of us. I'll give somebody a sandwich, and I'll give somebody a spiritual meal, and then I'll pray for him to be healed and to feel God's presence and supernatural power because I want people to see the reality of who Jesus is in their everyday life right now, everywhere I'm at, everywhere I go. And so this is our time. This is Rock City's time. Yeah. It's just beginning. This is just the beginning. Yes. You think it's crazy? It's going to get crazier in the world around us. Just wait till election year next year. Okay? But you know what? The kingdom of God is ever growing and maintaining and staying the same. The problem is we need more workers. So your response to my question is, I will answer the call. And I want you to say it out loud. All right? God is calling you. God is calling you. You are called. That's right. You got a call in your life, man. You have an incredible call in your life. Your story, your testimony, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to share it for all the world to hear. Yeah, it should be awesome. You share your stories. You stop being angry and bitter and stri- full of strife and hurting each other and divisive and, you know, fighting along the political lines. Be the kingdom, vote life, stand for life, and rescue the hurting and the broken and make yourself available to be used by God as his hands and his feet to make a difference in the community around us. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand.